The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Brian, you already did the pours, but I need a pour to open the show. So what's next, buddy? Come on. Do you have a glass? I do have a glass. Thank you. And cheers. Cheers. All right. Welcome, everybody. I'm John Myers. Welcome to the winemakers. There's Ah. wine being poured, finally. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And a beautiful, hey, well, this is a very special episode. Sam Katuri, Brian Casey, Elaine Chaka Brown. Welcome. Sardonic meatball reunites. Canon of names. And by which personal favorite. She's great. Is that is that what the text from my father was? Mr. Phil Katuri, yeah, named me Chickawavaka, which is my favorite name. And of course, the one and only Randall Graham. Welcome, welcome to Sonoma, Matt. Thank you. What a pleasure. My pleasure. Excellent. Well, <laughs> this is the first time I've really met you because I was on... Oh, were you never here for any no. of the... No, no, I've done 16 no. podcast <laughs> episodes and I never. <laughs> I actually <laughs> believed until today that John did not exist. Yeah. It was but, a, he's a figment of our yeah. imagination. Chat bot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, AI. Create cool. voice for radio. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Face for uh, radio. Yeah, that's for radio. that's for, the thing. We got those so. on our own. <laughs> absolutely. Well, welcome. And uh, you brought rain last night i did and a beautiful morning wow my pleasure we were just talking about the smell of the grass and the pavement and everything after a rainstorm storm called petrichor correct and you were talking about the molecules that make it that way yes there's a particular molecule called geosmin that is responsible for the smell of the ground after a rain. What's interesting about this particular molecule is it's also found in beets, in beetroot, and in Pinot Noir, and in Scotch whiskey. So, in the right at the right level, it's it's an I think an enhancement, too much of it, and I think it creates kind of a musty musty smell, and it's a defect in wine. But a little bit um, yeah. is is quite a quite a blessing, I think. Well, I hear I hear people in restaurants. If if people don't like beets, they say it because it tastes like dirt. Is what they. That's say. the whole point of it. Right. That, that's why they taste so great because it tastes like dirt. Right. They don't taste like a manufacturing plant. You know, they may they taste like nature. See, I don't want things that taste like dirt. I want things that taste like soil. So there we go. Thank you, Sam. That's my the voice of my father and my. Yes. Don't call it dirt. It's soil. Yeah. It's soil. It tastes like soil. Well, speaking of soil, you guys were here talking about soil and creating wines that have a sense of place. And and you do that. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, so does Enterprise in 16600. Well, let's, but let's, um, back I'm up. Super, the, the, the way this whole, you know, came together, of course, was in classic on brand style, last minute Sunday afternoon text messages, um, and, and a whole lot of planning, um, but obviously, the reason we say yes is it's Randall and Elaine. Um, but I'm going to let you say it because I say it wrong. Popolishum. Popolishum, which is your vineyard project. 
in like it's outside of Hollister, kind San, of San Juan Batista. San Juan Batista, okay. And that just sounds like a cool place. It is a cool place. It's a very cool place. <laughs> San Juan Batista. In both senses of the word, it's on the cooler side of California wine growing, like just inside the window to get Grenache, edgy and delicious. Mm-hmm. But also a very cool place in the sense that it's like feels good to be there. It's a, it's I'd a, like to be there. Where where exactly is it? Well, San Juan Batista is in this mysterious county called San Benito County. And San Benito County is kind of right at, nestled between a bunch of... San Juan Batista itself is nestled where all four, where four counties converge, Monterey, Santa Cruz, Santa Clara, and, and San Juan, and San Benito. Um, okay. It's, so the other thing is it's... Um, we have a, a lot of earthquakes in the neighborhood. I mean, the San Andreas Fault actually is the northern boundary of my property, okay. which is oh, pretty, wow. pretty amazing. Weird flex, but I'll take it. <laughs> but I remember when Randall started this project, I was still at the Girl in the Fig, right. and he was talking about doing this new project and doing new varietals, growing from seed. And it was a Kickstarter program, I think, at first. Correct. And what attracted me is I thought, oh, 30 years from now, I could, because because part of it was if you join the Kickstarter program, I think you could you get name, a cutting, you get a cutting, you could name one of them. So then I thought, oh, I'm going to be drinking wine called the Brian Casey. The Casey, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so this has been <laughs> this has been going on. I mean, that was that was 10, 15 10 years, years ago. 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Girl in the figures are dog years. So it yes. seems like about 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been doing that since and and. I think the goal is what ten thousand new. Um, yes, we're up, we're up to now about three thousand, so we're making progress. Yeah, it's, it's coming. Well, and can we talk about that? Yeah. Like, because you know, you hear the, the Cabernet Sauvignon, right? Is like the the baby of of Cab Franc and Sauvignon Blanc, and you know, the miracle of the bird that eats the right seed and germinates at the right spot. Grapes don't necessarily grow from seed, or at least that's my like. Well, recognized the... grapes don't grow from seed. You get new grapes when you grow from seed. Uh, so this is cool. one of the weirdest conversations yeah. to have with people: is that you can go out in one of your vineyards, take a seed out of there, go plant it somewhere else, and have a it's completely, a totally, totally new, which yeah. is bizarre, and I don't think people know this. But I. I I thought grapes were like self-pollinated. Aren't they pollinated themselves? Depends on the variety, actually. Okay. I think most vinifera, right? Well, virtually but, all vinifera is self-pollinated. Yeah. But okay. it can be pollinated by any random bit of pollen that floats in from out, outside as well. But yeah. it, that still will, will stay true to the to the mother to, a variety. So you can be pollinated with... Grapes pollinated from different parent, different fathers will, will actually right. express themselves similarly. Yeah. The, the fruit itself will. will the taste. fruit itself. The, and the isn't that, that a lesson on. for us all? Yes. <laughs> my mom, my mom, God bless her, used to go around and proudly describe her grandchildren. And uh, she has three girls. And so, of course, the three girls' kids happen to have various fathers. Uh, and my mom would proudly say, it don't matter who their daddy is. <laughs> so it's all but, about mom. There is for, her, for my mom, it's all about the mom. Matrilineal lineage. <laughs> yeah, the, we do all look almost identical. <laughs> yeah, not self-pollinating, and yet. <laughs> well, and so it begs the question, Randall. 
people will probably wonder, why the heck would you want to do this? Um, amusement. <laughs> <laughs> no, and others. I mean, you know, I, I've been, I'm very proud of the, my career in the wine business, but it, ultimately, I think up till now, I've made some nice wines, some, had some cute labels, and had some interesting ideas, but I have never really made any wines that were important. Um, and an important wine is a wine, I think, that is capable of moving someone emotionally. I mean, I think that's kind of what wine can aspire to do, is, is affect you in a way that is personal and deep, and you don't even understand why it's working, but it's, it's doing something to your, 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 your emotion, to your emotions. Yeah. If I can do something like that, then that, that's a success, and that's something I aspire to do. And wines of place, I think, uniquely can, can do that, where, where it's more than just simply a set of flavors. It's something that is, means more than just a, a, a style or a, right. something, something, something of that sort. And, and, you know, all of the wines, most of the wines that we have here growing in California are wines that are grapes that have been brought over by other people and then planted here. So what we're talking about is doing something from this area that would basically be indigenous to California. And it maybe expresses terroir better than trying to bring grapes over from France and plant them here, hoping that hoping they're... That they express something differently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is always a dislocation. When, you know, when you take something that is adapted to one set of conditions and you move it to somewhere else, you, you end up with something utterly new. And that, yeah. that new thing can be novel in a, in a pleasant way or novel in a kind of a jarring and discordant kind of way. Um, until you try it, you really don't. You really don't know. Yeah. And what's what? One of the weird things that I found is that um, sometimes grapes that are sort of underachievers in their in their original place of origin, when you take them to the new world, they suddenly flourish. And they, it's kind of like being a kid in school, and you don't do well in one school, and you get moved to a new school, and then suddenly you, you, a new child, a new student emerges. So, you know who's far more competent and interesting yeah. than he or she was in the, in the previous school. Well, is there a variety that you're thinking of when you say that? Um, strangely, uh, Roussan okay. um, is, is an example of one. I think Viognier is an example of another. You know, cha cha changed very differently grown in California. And right. then uh, Tiburon, I think, is, something, oh, is another grape that okay. is very different. And that's I know Tiburon. That's one of the ones that you're experimenting with uh, at this. Correct. Popolashum. They say it right. Yes. Yes. Popolashum. I've been, you know, reading about it for so long, and it's like you know, in your own head, you just keep pronouncing things the wrong way. Tiburon, also known as Rosese di Dolce Acqua, um, is is a largely un largely it's entirely unknown grape in, in California. So. Right. It's, jury's out to see how it does, but I, I think it's a grape of fabulous potential. And it's essentially just, planted in three sites. Three sites, correct. Three different parts of the state. All of them go back to Randall making it happen. Um, and so, but nobody else in their right mind would be growing Tiburon in California. <laughs> it's, it's a pain in the neck to grow, but... Um, well, who's to say what's a right mind? And Well, one of the things I think, Brian, going back to some of the points you're getting at, 
one of the early conversations I ever had with Randall was about this idea that all of California wine is emulating somewhere else. Right. And you, you know, at the time you were troubling over this question, like, right. is it possible to make a wine that's not emulating somewhere else, but that's distinctly from here? Yeah. And in a weird way, taking a grape that underperforms somewhere else and bringing it to here and finding that a new expression of it, that actually isn't emulating, right? Correct. It's borrowing, but creating something totally new. Absolutely. But then I take it, Brian, what you were getting at is like this whole seed project, you know, it's trying to create something that really is totally is only from here. Like the seeds came yeah. from here. And truly express terroir of California. Because um, they, they originate from here. Right. Well, what's interesting about seeds or more accurately or more precisely, not seeds, but a genetically diverse population is a genetically diverse population, and uh, which is say a wine made from a, a, a very large set of genetically diverse individuals, no longer expresses varietal characteristics, but potentially can it better express soil characteristics or the characteristics of a site. Right. So, but in other words, by de-emphasizing one aspect of the wine, you're allowing other another aspect of the wine to be more expressive. Right. And you. It should be said, too, that when you started doing this, no one else in the world was doing it. Now there's like three people in the world that have done seed <laughs> projects. But mm -hmm. and actually, at least one of them started around the same time you did. But the point is, like, Randall started this, right? Where um, else are the others? Well, Sashi Mormon did something with Pinot down in, in, in Lompoc area. Yeah, Santa Rita Hills. Santa Rita Hills. And then there's the niche influential project in Europe that uh, Jose is right. studying and talked about, but I'm blanking on the, it's well, in the South, but I can't think of which country. Um, is it Italy? Capri is doing some work with Sagrantino. Um, there are some others that are doing these things kind of clandestine. Oh, Lebrandi did this in uh, Calabria with uh, Maliocco and Galliopo. This is that the Calabria, that's and what I was Dujac, thinking. I think, playing around with some unique varietals as well. I think they released a bottle of really oh, unusual varietals no. um and and Randall, you have four different very unique soil types mm -hmm. on the property right and so correct is the idea that you're planting the same grapes in all four not exactly um i'm doing i'm gonna it may end up being three soil types that we're going to use but the idea is to identify a unique distinctive strong terroir and then plant a, a, a diverse set of, of grapes in that particular site. So we're, we're doing, for example, offspring from, from common parents, but each plant is genetically different from the other. So it'll be about 2,000 or 2,500 different plants, all from the same parent, but genetically dis distinctive. Wow. So the idea is to, again, de-emphasize the, the varietal characteristics to, to allow the soil characteristics to emerge and see if a volcanic soil behave produces a wine that's distinctive from say a calcareous soil from a granitic granitic soil if you will so sam what what i'm curious about what's going on in your head because if you have all these different grapes growing out there then you're needing you're needing to make these i think you're making the wines in small tanks no, no, or these wines well it's a relatively small lot but they're all yeah. going to be blended together right you just harvest at the same time but yeah. what's tricky is that these have white and red parents so the offspring mm. some of the parents are, some of the offspring are going to be red some are going to be white maybe yeah. some even pink so how do you but you're still picking them all together 
haven't or haven't made. decided whether we're going to keep the reds and the pinks together, the pinks and the whites together, or just check everything. Just go for it all. Just go for it. Can we just like start from the beginning of the process? For I mean, that's where I'm sitting there okay. going. All right, I know what grape seeds look like. By the time we're done with them, they've been fermented and. James Jones is taking pictures through the windows. You're not creepy at all, James. Um, <laughs> you know, a fermented this the the must the the pumice the seeds and the st- and the skins left over. Obviously, those aren't viable seeds. How do you let, let's start from like? No, the seeds are viable after the fermentation. After the fermentation, so is that where you're you're collecting seeds Correct. from from the pumice? Correct. And then you plant them. In little well, you clean them, clean them very well. Clean all the all the pulp off of them and, oh, okay. and dry them, and then actually let them let them go through a period of dormancy and the, put them in the fridge okay. for three three months, and germinate them as seeds, and then pick the pick out the ones that are funky and weird and right. discard them on the slag heap of history, <laughs> and then the other the, the good ones, the, the viable ones, you retain and, and plant out in a, in a nursery. Okay. And I mean, so that's the other piece of this is there's there's selection going on from top to bottom, right? You're picking the best seeds, you're picking the most viable germinates, you're planting those those seedlings that are the strongest are getting moved to. So, and but he's the, picking them in the way nature would pick them, in that those seeds wouldn't propagate anyway. These these germinations were dying anyway. So right. it's just that yeah, the yeah, ones yeah. that remain intact, you know? It's just it's it's the things that are gonna grow grow and the ones that don't grow. But alright. I know how long it takes to like plant some rootstock, graft on a, a you know, the bud of a your variety, grow it up the stake, harvest. Right. What's the time frame of is it, is it considerably a years longer? longer? A couple of years longer. Okay. Depending on how much Sunshine and how much water you have. If you have right. a lot of sunshine and a lot of water, it grows goes faster. So Davis, they can bring it up the state pretty quickly. Okay. San Juan Batista, not not not, not so much. Quick, sunshine, not not so not much. much water. Correct. Right. We're short on both. But also not so hot. Right. Not so hot. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I. I oh, like maybe it. super hot in the other sense. In the other yeah. sense, exactly. <laughs> but not like so it, hot in yes. the temperature sense. It's, yeah. It's hot. So hot right now. Um, and, and the whole thing is is fast. I mean, it's well because then rootstock. Then you're you're not using AXR. You're, you're not using roots. Right, rooted. right. So, so then you need to grow it in an area that doesn't have phylloxera. Right, at least and to, then to establish the nursery. Gophers are munching on your. Gophers love seedlings. Well, yeah. and, they and, love and he seedlings. also has turkeys once the fruit comes out. Right, right. Pest pressure is high. Yeah, there's foxes. Foxes, uh, bobcats. So um, what percent survives? No bear. Depends yeah. on the yeah. variety. Depends on the variety. Some uh, parents uh, or yeah. some self crosses are more viable than others. So Grenache is seems to be quite quite successful. Muscats, old varieties seem to have more viability than young varieties. So Cabernet, for example, I'm told by Andy Walker that uh, self crosses of Cabernet are mostly non viable because it's a relatively young variety. So it's genetically unstable. Hmm. Interesting. So varieties that have existed in the world longer are more likely to create viable seedlings. Right. That's my understanding. Okay. That's super interesting. Is there any way of, um, like, once you have something that's going really good, 
that you can do like the genome map of it and figure out what its parents were. Like this was Grenache with Tiburon and and it had a you know its mom was Rusan and his, and the deer that it, walked by and the deer that walked by. Like, is there? It, can you follow that thread? Or once it's established as its own thing, there's no like connection back to you can't like figure out back to what it was is, is like the ampelography are the leaf shapes different or is just like everything about it is right challenge i mean and i guess that's the point everything about it sort of challenges what we think we know about the old rules right yeah. yeah we know they're grapes if you no. if you have a, if you have a record <laughs> of, good. of the genome of the parents you can figure it out but if you if, if the, you don't if, if the parents if one of the parents is unknown <clears throat> Right. It remains unknown. I mean, you could f- figure out one of the parents, but you, not necessarily both parents. Okay. So, for example, I don't believe Tiburan, the parentage of Tiburan has been established. Syrah, of course, has been established, right. but, but Tiburan has not. Okay. Now, when we do self-questions of Tiburan, and, and if a quarter of the offspring are white grapes, we'll probably can conclude that one of the parents was a white grape, right. which will be quite interesting. Okay. Can't we should wait. clarify, though, that what we're tasting right now, when haven't yeah, talked about it at all, about, these are so not seasonal wines. I'm actually going to put another question I have. Um, what the hell do you tell the TTB when you put this wine in a bottle and be like, yeah, it's some variety yeah. that only exists on my property in San Benito right. County. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, I desk think they're going to dispatch the SWAT team when the label, when the, when the, when the, when the, when the, Label approval application goes in. The, the SWAT team right dispa- gets black dispa- helicopters descend on exactly a Citron somewhere in Santa Cruz County. <laughs> Look for the Citron. That's the clue. Look for the Citron. That's some the blue clue. Smoke coming That's out how the you find it. That's how you find it. Okay, but these wines. So we started with the Blanc from Poplashum, and these are vines that from grapes, grape types that you love and wanted to try there. And I'm especially a big fan of. Of the blanc, this yes. is a different, different iteration of it than you've done previously. Correct, but it's half Grenache blanc, half Grenache gris. Exactly, and this is a twenty-two vintage. Twenty-two, right? yeah. and a very interesting color. I guess that's the gris that's bringing that's this. Is, but it's also this is a different Ooh. iteration than gris you've done and, in the past. Skin, and, and some skin contact. Three hours of skin contact. We uh, should clarify that Randall's not a fan of skin contact, and yet decided to know the site. Let's see how it does with this yes. one. Yes, correct. Exactly. I'm not a big fan of skin contact because I'm, I'm just not a big phenolic kind of fan. Um, and I like wines that sort of are lighter and more textural that way. Um, well, in the and in previous vintages of this particular wine, there hasn't been skin t- contact, but there's still been this incredible like power of presence in the mouth, not yeah. from ripeness, but from like just this distinctiveness and, and kind of density of character in the mouth but and so now to see that's still there there's this you know you were you you know i've been trying to figure out how do i how do i describe this characteristic that i always see in the wines from this site publishroom and the way you you sort of captured my blubbering around about it earlier was you said it's quasi saline because it doesn't it has the mouth stimulation like salt does like it tightens your mouth but it doesn't it's not that it's salty right you know, but this wine, I'm fascinated by the idea that we can do some skin contact and you still have this quasi-saline drive to the 
wine. Because a lot of skin contact wines, it's almost like the mineral character goes away it's as that fruit. Yeah. Something, yeah. The other thing that, that I, I failed to mention earlier, this is all natural acidity and malolactic and bottled without filtration. So yeah. I think it's, a lot of the texture yeah. comes from the, the fact that it was not filtered. Um, I mean, one of the issues we have it is... It goes through mallow, is that you said? goes through mallow. Mm -hmm. Well, and the acid is still so prominent in yeah. a really pleasing way. I'm sure, uh, you know. I mean, this is, the acid must have been crazy when you started. Through before. the roof. Yeah. I think this wine, to actually, moon, this is all... To the moon, to the moon Alice. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very sensual wine in... Um, but also erudite. Like, I think we think of, you know, everybody's afraid to say wine sensual. So as the only apparent woman in the room, I'm going to go ahead and use the word because um, I'm allowed, you know, as a woman, I'm still allowed, you know, to reference sexy things. OK, so anyway, the um, just to torment Brian a little bit. Thank you. Yeah. I've been in the room the whole time. So but anyway, my point is this wine is very sensual. And I think that when we claim that about a wine, we assume it's only for pleasure and somehow that diminishes its value or its seriousness. But this wine is actually, there is a seriousness to it, but it's so much about mouthfeel. It's so much about this fleshiness in the mm -hmm. palate. And yet there's like tension. And, and again, this quasi saline mineral element and drive, it like there's just a lot going on here. Well, and for it to be as um, sort of experimental and and I hate to use the word academic, but it's you know it's is um, made with the intent of exploring this concept. Um, also, just like achieve drinkability, you know the, that sort of like baseline of what we're doing in, in wine is like you want to make something that you want to drink, right? Um, and sort of take all the variables that you've given yourself. Which is essentially what, you know, it sounds like you've, from my standpoint, you've mastered the art of making wine uh, the normal way and wanted to, like, increase the level of complexity and complication in your life with, with this project. But to, again, you know, reach the that most important baseline of, like, something that you want to drink, you know, and it's it's got all that. And so the, the what you were starting to say is that these aren't, these wines that are on the table aren't made from the these are new not seedling wines varietals. yeah that, the seedling project is still in process last right. year though i was able to visit randall at publishum and we walked through the seedling rows and like every single vine looked different the color of the fruit the size of the clusters all looked totally different and one of the things he had me do was walk through the rows and pull off clusters from each of them and then just smash them into my mouth all at once you know so because that because again that's the goal of the resulting wine is they'll all be harvested and fermented together. Right. And so how, what does that taste like? But but you haven't made a commercial wine in that way yet. Not, not yet. I mean, so this is, I think, an important idea, if I can try to express it, which is when I first started working with the seedlings, the self-crossed seedlings, my thought was I'll find a, a unique variant that is better suited to San Juan Batista than the others. So in other words, yeah. if you start with for example, Serene. Serene or Syrah was adapted to Cote Roti in Northern Rhone. And there's no reason to imagine that the variety that was selected for the Northern Rhone is going to be necessarily particularly well suited to, say, San Juan Batista. Maybe I could find by, by allowing some differences to exist, um, I could find one that was better suited. Now, my 
thinking has evolved since then to imagine that maybe these, such a thing could exist, but likely I will not have the wit to discover what it, what it is, at least in my remnant of my short lifetime. Maybe somebody else later on might. But the, the new idea that I have that I think is a more powerful idea is that instead of necessarily looking or expecting to find the best clone or the best biotype, instead, perhaps the so-called best biotype is a set, a composite of a bunch of different biotypes, that the most interesting thing is actually a, a suite of, of genetically distinctive individuals rather than one single one. And perhaps this is a way of achieving complexity in a wine that could not be achieved in another way. So that's that's kind of the bet of these of the self crosses. But these wines, um, I'm super excited about that idea. Just this, like, I got this, you know, constellation, this image of a constellation of details, and you know, um, you know, like a starscape, right? Like where there's just all of this detail and all of this range, and that becomes the complexity of a wine, except that's coming from the very formation of the vineyard itself, where every plant is different. Right. So okay. I find that fascinating. The uh, and, and we don't know yet. And the wines we've... So we started with the Blanc from Pomplachum, and that's the Grenache Blanc, Grenache Gris, um, with a little bit of skin contact. But I've just poured us now the 2021 Pinot Noir, and I think we have to take a moment to acknowledge we're about to taste Pinot Noir made by Randall Graham, which has, as he's described, it been the curse of his career. Uh, and yet he keeps making Pinot Noir. Repetition compulsion, what can I say? <laughs> Dr. Freud characterized it well. The return of the repressed. The return of the repressed. I feel like we're on that path. Well, it's beautiful. Yeah. I'll say that. And, and so this is also from Pompelichum. The Blanc was just, you know, that has a beautiful nose. The Pinot is delicious. Thanks. But we should be point. It should be said too. This is the twenty-one vintage, which is a drought year, so everything is more concentrated and intense just by the growing conditions of the year. Also, I'm remiss. To men, not to mention that this, these are very densely planted plants. These are planted meter by half meter apart. Whoa. So very little fruit per, per, per vine. Per vine. Hmm. And just on stakes, you're not on trellises with these. On trellis, you yeah. You are on trellis yeah. with that. But on a very steep slope. Uh, reasonably steep, uh, north-facing slope. Pretty, actually, it's it's... Gent gentle slope. It's it's kind of in a protected little Is it area. even a slope? You know. Yeah, it's probably... It's, I, of Sorry, it. we keep changing how dramatic the slope is, so I thought, wait, maybe it's not a it's slope so at all. It's so steep down that it actually goes up. I Well... <laughs> no, it is on a slope. But a gentle very slope. Densely, gentle. Very Slightly. densely planted slope. Well, you know... Stand on the one side, you can be a little taller. I fell my ass down that slope. That's why I was thinking it was super steep, okay? So, Elaine, you had some notes from, and you were doing a, a video program before we had the podcast. And one 16600 of the, Studios. Yes. Oh, that's a, this, is, this is what I printed out. This is not Okay. Lines. All right. Okay. Well, there's a big quote on here that says, we're really trying to pay attention to the microbiology of the soil and create an emphasis on, you know, on sense of place. Mm-hmm. What is the soil composition there? 
And why does it make it so special? Then? Well, there's there's several distinctive soil types at Poplishum. There's some beautiful limestone soils. There's some granitic soils. There's some volcanic soils, and some less interesting ones as well. Um, but the whole idea is to is to enhance the microbiology of of the soil, the, the biological complexity of the soil. We do this through the use of composting and um, I see biochar, biochar yeah, for, as, as well. Yeah. And obviously, minimal minimal tilling or no tilling. Um, well, with the is the whole vineyard meter by meter by half meter or just no? God, God help us! No, <laughs> yeah, just the pinot. Just just the pinot. Just the pinot. Okay. That's enough. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's that's. Uh, well, if you're going to grow the grape that cursed you to begin with, right. you might as well, well plant grow it as a curse. You know, lean in, live the curse. So I have to ask, why has it been such a curse? I think because I love it too much, and this is the universe's way of saying, you know, just, I don't know, what, I don't know exactly what the universe is trying, it's trying to tell me something, I'm not sure exactly what, but. Well, what would your life mean if you hadn't had Pinot to guide it in this way? Right, I mean, the fact that, the fact that Pinot has failed has been a wonderful thing for my career. It's led me to Rhone varieties, yeah. and Rhone varieties have been very kind to me over the years. Um, and to all sorts of other things that I would otherwise have never visited. So I'm, I'm therefore thankful for my failure. For your suffering. For my suffering. <laughs> what is in, in Gone in 60 Seconds, Nicolas Cage calls the, the one car that he could never steal, the, the Shelby Cobra. He oh. calls it Eleanor. 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 <laughs> yeah. You should make a Pinot Noir called Eleanor. The one that <laughs> Eleanor finally, haunts like, you. Yeah, exactly. Keeps getting away. <laughs> The one that got away, uh, yes. Well, he did finally get it back. He did finally get yeah. it back, and and into the container and onto the ship to be shipped out. <laughs> Whatever that. The ship was. that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Probably that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's mix all the. Yeah. I see the Panama Canal is like dry these days. They can't oh, put dear. anything through. Well, let's there. not get into that too much. That sounds like politics and climate change. No, no. I need a break. <laughs> no <laughs> politics. No, no politics. <laughs> I wanted to talk about these Bordeaux varietals well, we that they're starting to experiment yet. with. Or no, I guess you just got us into movies. Yeah. But, yeah. I know. No, but we I, can't go too far. We're on a limited time. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Brian. You were, what, Bordeaux? What? No Marvel comic universe. Oh, there's, yeah. you know, in, instead of coming up with these new, there's, there's thinking about getting these varietals in Bordeaux that were sort of kicked out of Bordeaux because they either weren't producing or weren't getting ripe. And now that climate has changed of bringing some of those Great varietals idea. back. That's fantastic. Um, but I, you know, is Bordeaux ready to <laughs> start making is, some changes? Well, it's ready. trying. I mean, yeah. it's, a you know, it's now allowing 5% blend in of, like various varieties, including Alarino Portuguese, one of them. for God's yeah. sake. So they're going to bring Portugal to Bordeaux? That, like, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That seems pretty radical for Bordeaux. Well, and is that sort of part of this exploration too, is things that will do... I, you've said the San Benito is a little bit cooler in a, in a number of ways, but is part of it have to do with climate change, that maybe there is some things Absolute, that are better absolutely. suited? We, we don't have a lot of water in our vineyard, so we're severely constrained so i'm i'm looking really hard at drought tolerant varieties like sanso and tiburin which seem to be particularly yeah. successful in san juan yeah well and and as you're going through with the self crosses is it 
and my guess is that you're finding one that's sort of self-evident that there's some crosses that end up being more successful with the soil types and the climate and the lack of water. And are you sort of, is it sort of like, again, you know, like the most extreme and, and complex version of like a Masao selection where you're seeing, identifying the, these crosses that are the strongest and then trying to propagate those more? Or... It's not a, exactly obvious which ones are, you know, what one should be selecting for. You know, the, the qualities of drought tolerance and um, may not be necessarily the, the same qualities that give you the highest quality wine grapes. Right. You know, maybe the, the, the highest quality wine grapes are right. these kind of very feeble and uh, tortured right. uh, individuals. <laughs> Um, that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> so I've met winemakers before. We, more more study is more study and observation is required. Yeah. More study of feebility. Feebility and torture is needed. <laughs> and levels of torture. I see a new book by Elaine coming. <laughs> Studies in feebility by Elaine Chacon Brown, aka Chekovaka. Yeah, Chekovaka's newest book on feebility. <laughs> So what what is time frame for some of the new varietals making it actually into commercial? Uh, well, the, we planted last year uh, almost two acres of self crop. You have to be I have to be very careful in the nomen, precise nomenclature because somewhere Jamie Good is listening. Hopefully, um, <laughs> you can't call them Serene Blanche, but. I selected these white variants of of serene self cross serene oh. and planted two acres, almost two acres of um, mixed mixed block of these white variants, and those are coming up to stake this year or this next year. And ne the following year, we should have a little a small crop of uh, fruit from that. So okay. that that's quite exciting. And, and real quick for those of you listening, uh, or maybe in the room who don't know exactly what serene is, serene is the other name of Syrah or the parent of Syrah. No. None. Well, yes. So Serene is... <laughs> okay, well, if you go to Cote Roti, for example, and you look at a vineyard, they will actually have vineyards of, of parts of the block planted to Serene and parts of the block planted to Syrah. And they're phenotypically different. Serene is a smaller bunch, um, dense, a, close, um, a tighter bunch, uh, ripens a little bit later. It's higher in acidity. And it's a little more ovate in shape, or ovoid in right. shape, and it's even more than regular Syrah. Even more than regular Syrah, and it's uh, slightly pep more peppery. Okay. But it's also more prone to Syrah decline, so it, con uh, it kind of cr crashes right. sooner. However, genetically they're identical, so the only conclusion that can be reached is it's infected with a probably a benign virus. And mm. my colleagues at Gallo tell me that it's actually a particular virus called red globe grape virus. Red globe. Red globe grape virus. RGG. See, this is where the Marvel references start to show I know, up. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Venturing into dangerous territory here. Um, okay, so I just poured us, this is still Pinot from Pompelachum, but it's the 22 vintage. So we've, we tasted the 21 vintage a minute ago, and this is the 22. How much difference do you notice in these two? Well, so for me, right away, the 22 has like much more open aromatics. The 21 is like this gorgeous wine, but kind of reticent at first pour. I think all of Randall's wines going as far back as he's been making wine have always had this quality of 
opening up more the longer they've been open. And I was saying this earlier, like even as long as a week after opening, the wines are like becoming more vibrant, which is pretty unusual in the world of wine. But the, um, you know, so these were open two hours ago. The 21, there's something about the 21 that's like deeply compelling to me, yet I can't explain or describe it because it feels like it's still shy. But the 22, 22 is not super outgoing, but it actually, it's a little more willing to check out who's around and talk to them quietly, Slightly you know? Slightly less introverted. Slightly less introverted, yeah. Um, less autistic. Right. <laughs> So, a little neuro, neurodiversity. Yes. Uh, vino diversity. Yeah. Um, this side of the interesting table way probably to describe also has it. that, though. So. Such an interesting way to describe that, really. Oh, thank you. I guess I think of wines as having their own character. Well, maybe some wines don't, but, a lo- the, but compelling wines have a character much like people do. And if you're observant, you can start to describe it, you know. It's talking to me. Mm. You have thought the Randall like how? What's your experience with the, these two vintages of Pinot? I'm still trying to understand it. As I said earlier, that the 21 worried me as being just too austere and too phenolic and too extracted, but it's it's showing great right now and with in, immense potential. And the 22 has been always very flatteur and always very charming. Um, Kind of maybe maybe a little too charming, if you will. Um, but what do you think accounts for the difference in the vintages? Beats the heck out of. Um, I, I have theories. The twenty one, I think, as I said, was very dry, and the bunches were extremely small and very concentrated. So I think we had this kind of preternatural level of um, concentration on the twenty one. Twenty two is maybe a little more normal, uh, closer to a normal vintage. Still didn't irrigate it. I think we gave it two small irrigations during the summer. So these are, these are as close to dry farm as you, as you can get. So how deep would those roots be that allow it to go with just two? I, I'm, I don't know, honestly. Probably six, eight feet by, by, okay. by this time. Because the, yeah, the vines are fairly young as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Well, the Pinot must be, what, 15 years now? No, oh, really? it's t- it's ten years, but it, as I mentioned earlier, we had we had to replant it. Oh, that's right, because of I the forgot, darn yeah. rats that just infested. He started, yeah. So he's Pinot was the first he planted in a Poplishum, but he also planted a bunch of mulch about it, and the rats decided that was really cool, and, super and cool, and ate yeah. the Pinot, the, rats the first round of Pinot. So then he replanted. So now that. The current vines are 10 years old, but the original planting was a little older. No, actually, the, the oldest ones, I think, are about 10 years oh, old. Oh, okay. The more recent ones are maybe six or seven years. So it's still a relatively young vineyard. And we still have some, still a bunch of replants to, 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 to go. So, And it, we planted this to 12 different uh, clones of Pinot, kind of randomly picked. Some of them are more interesting than others, I think. That's another conversation yeah. I mean, altogether we could have an entire series of podcasts devoted to the minutia of pinot noir clones and yeah i would never want to listen to it no that's i was gonna say <laughs> really? so many people have talked about that so much do yeah. we care no we don't care well so i was just at I a conference <laughs> i was just at a conference in new hampshire 
And while trying to describe regional differences in wines, this woman said, Freud describes the narcissism of difference, and isn't that what we're talking about now? The narcissism. I think that's the perfect narcissism. phrase to describe obsession with Pinot clones is the narcissism of difference. Yeah. It's not that much six, difference. Six, six, seven? No. No, no, no. No, we're not going to name them. <laughs> so what is this last wine that we're about to, that Brian is pouring? The reason that Brian's here. 22 Sanso. Ooh, there you go. Can't wait. It's rare that you get a Sanso. I mean, Senso is going to be the savior of the California wine industry. Oh, I love it. Shots fired. Okay, but you also made this in a distinctive, unusual way. So. Yeah. So these are very young vines. This was the first harvest. Of, these are th three-year-old vines, if you will. Um, probably overcropped in some, in some cases. Threw a lot of the stuff on the ground. The stuff that was ripe-ish, we... we ripe -ish, we picked and then air dried it for four days to lignify the stems and enhance the ripeness a little bit so the, the finished wine i think still is 12 and a half percent alcohol mm -hmm. yeah um but we got a lot more concentration from the wine in the actually 12 12 12 ish yeah. um oh, yeah. if if you did a brick sample on day one and day four of that process how much does it increase just it really depends on how dry it is and how much time. But you pick up, in, or over four days, you'll pick up about a bricks and a half, maybe two bricks. Okay. So it probably came in and started around 20, 19 and a half, 19 and a half, and dried to 21 and a half, 22 right. maybe. To get to 12%, that's all right. Because that's what you're doing with the language of yes wines. Correct. Is, is air doing drying. the air drying. And then yes. you're, I mean, you're losing liquid. Correct. And yeah. lignifying the stems right. more as significantly. Yes. Yeah. And then are you, do you do a significant portion whole cluster? All whole Heck cluster? yes. You go to all that trouble. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point, right? That's well, the and this point. is 100% whole cluster Correct. with slightly dried fruit. Yes. 100% whole cluster. But you don't get the signature, you know, that green signature of the whole cluster thank at all. Good, right. That's goodness. the whole, the whole That's concept. the whole point. You, by the lignification, you, you, you're... Eliminating that herbaceous right. vegetal and Are you character. looking, for, I mean, do you lay this out and you're like, I'll come back in four days? Or are you going, checking it every day to see it? Is it like progress on the stems? or? Well, I fruit? know the first day you just keep your pants on, Randall. It's, 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 <laughs> they're not going to be ready after one day. So I, it usually takes three or four okay. or five. But and it but changes like that much can, in four days? Yes. Significantly. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Well, there's you, so much more tannin than you expect here. I mean, not that it's aggressively tannin, but it, like it's yeah, but it's they're they're uh, uh, resolved. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's definitely like I can feel it, you know, in the palate. At last, a uh, uh, use for those FYBs. Oh, this is a juicy wine. Yeah. Yep. Um, it, it just makes my mouth water for sure. Wow. I'm in love. And Randall, why do you just why do you think that this is gonna be the saving grace of uh, California wine industry? Um, I mean one of the things that California has to figure out how to do is to make wines that are relatively competitive in value. I mean wines in California wines mm. are too darn expensive. Yeah. 
uh, it's expensive to grow grapes in California. Sanso is a is a can be a prodigious yielder, so it produces a, a thrifty crop, which is to say, lots of grapes. The other thing about Sanso is it seems to be particularly drought tolerant, and that's quite mm. significant as water becomes um, as scarce as it yeah. as it is. So I think it's um, it's a variety f for the future, and it produces delicious wine. Yeah. And I think wines that are 12 and a half percent, 12, 12 and a half percent, people can actually drink um, and enjoy. Yeah, part of the new journey, lift, right? Lift part of tell the, the tale. one of the saving graces of the natural wine movement. Um, people are, well, we're finding out that people maybe want less alcohol in their wines. Well, yeah. it's amazing yeah. what 2% will do. Yes. I mean, 14 seems big now. Well, Twelve's great. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, understand that's what yeah. it is. So, but if they're looking, don't look at don't look at any of the bottles you get out of uh, seventeen. Hey. No, no, no. Okay, no. all right. I would never be that honest. Right. Okay. <laughs> my right. Uh, one of my favorite tasting experiences with Mr. Phil Katuri was him tasting a thirteen percent alcohol wine and saying to the winemaker. I like a little more ripeness than this myself personally, but I can see what you're going for here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, the, the thing my, always dad, my dad always says about working with 30 plus different winemakers. You know, everybody has a different uh, opinion of, yeah. of what ripe means and what tastes good to them and what style they're looking for. Um, you know, the vineyards that we farm are in places that have water and sunshine and ripe happens at a different place than places with either less water or less sunshine. Um, so that's, you know, the basis of it. And, and it's also the vintage. Some years, you know, some years ripe happens at 12, 13% alcohol. Some years ripe happens at 14, 15% alcohol. Yeah. For me, that's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't actually, the last thing I look at when I look at a bottle is what the alcohol is. It's, it's the least important balance factor. right right how it tastes how it yeah. feels how it smells yeah. doesn't matter the alcohol you know wines can be out of balance and taste hot yeah. at 12 percent, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they can be totally fresh and vibrant at 16 percent. it's just or a you can of... be really hung over and a 10 percent alcohol feels like too much right <laughs> you know? so many you know so many variables go into it yeah you know how many century eggs you ate the day before probably affect that also. Yeah, um, <laughs> some, but not too many. Yeah. You should be careful. <laughs> All right, guys, I know we need to hop out of here. We're, we're unlimited. This was a last minute very throw together. Too. Very unfortunate we have to cut this. I know, we, we could. Well, I feel like this happened last time we had Randall on the show, too. So we, you know, it was... Uh, that was uh, Sweet D. Sweet D Grenache Day yeah. parties. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we could talk... There's lots of questions that we have, Randall. We need all the help we can get, and you provide some of the answers, so we appreciate it. And let's just say our average show is about two hours. Yes, but eh, three times as long as this one's going to be. But it's, that's not, it's car talk no, for wine. almost an hour. Exactly. Yeah. It's all yeah. Car talk for wine. Yeah. Do you, do you edit this down? or is nah, No. Whatever. Never. Maybe once. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If somebody says something they really need to take back, we will. Right. Yes. And we don't invite him back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, any shout outs? Uh, let's see. This is episode 301. Yes. Um, 
So go back and listen to episode 300, our, party. our listener appreciation yeah. party. Oh, that was uh, crazy. We have some totally <laughs> wild. <laughs> it's happening in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> we're living in the future, Elaine. Oh, my I, My whole life is... Hop like, in yes. the DeLorean. Yeah. We're trying to... Exactly. <laughs> the, the Citron gets to 82 miles an hour. Um, uh, we've released some cool things in the future in 16600. Yeah. Um, check your emails. The wine and vinyl is a different name, I think. The record club... Uh, three bottles and a unreleased or rare vinyl record in a box. Um, so check that out. And get your tickets uh, for New Year's Eve. Oh yeah, Mar- Marty O'Reilly at uh, the Sebastiani Theater New Year's Eve party. It's a big deal. Marty O'Reilly and yeah, uh, Little Worth opening uh, fresh off of Tanner Tanner's birthday party, which apparently I, I couldn't make it, but apparently it was a great show. So yeah, a good dinner. The yeah. other Elaine? thing that occurs to me um, is... If people have heard us talking about these wines, how do you buy them? How do you buy them? How do you publish them? How do you buy publish them? This this is the story of my life. I'm an artist, not a merchant. So I I always forget like the bit about monetizing something. (laughs) There actually is a website, publishum.com. Okay, so let's spell that. Oh, just like it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Publishum. That's P O P E L O U C H U M. Exactly. And I will also say that they have some of my favorite labels in the business, too. Oh, so yeah, they're, they're very, really very cool, cool wine labels. Yeah. Fibonacci. Fibonacci's greatest hits. <laughs> Out of Salinas. Salinas? Salinas. Salinas? Salinas, yes. Yeah. Okay, so Popolishum.com. Popolishum.com. And these wines are available for even, purchase. Even as we speak. As we speak. As we speak. Okay. Go ahead and get them. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I recommend people trying some of the language of yes wines, too. Uh, absolutely, uh, yes. Yeah, sure. Those are gorgeous wines. Every time I try and get them, they're all sold out. Uh, the Fairmont has a few bottles all here right. in Sonoma, if you need. They're, now they're, they're now gone since Brian has announced yeah, that. Exactly. They're in, already gone. I thought By I the had time you drive over there, not. they will be gone. <laughs> <laughs> because Elaine's going to drive faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll share them. I'll share okay. them. I've seen, I saw them on the wine list at Girl in the Fig. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay. Excellent. Even better. We can walk. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm still right now even right. yep thank you Randall any shout outs from you? you what's going on yeah, what's next in uh, the life of oh, dear Lord God Almighty um, London, London, New York, Paris, Munich I just flew back I just did let's see a two three week trip which was San Francisco to Shanghai to Taipei to Hong Kong to Manila Whoa. to Virginia to New Hampshire to here in other okay. words, okay, so I started in <laughs> Shanghai and yet came all the way here to your podcast. That's that's right. the I route like I took. And bonus I told points, him, look, uh... I'll go I'll go I'll go speak in Taipei, sure fine. But I want get me back I want to Taiwanese beef noodle soup and I want to get back in time for the podcast. Those are my two conditions for the trip. <laughs> Randall, anything to say? Close this out. I've said it all. I... All right. <laughs> there it is. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We are the winemakers, and thank drink you. more Norton, drink more Cunningham. Subscribe, review, Ooh, thank tell you, your sir. friends. Only review. Cool. All righty. I'll see you next week. Everybody. Explore. Bye.